0: Welcome to Canada's Podcast. Hi there, I'm Phil Bliss, founder and CEO of Canada's Podcast. Coming to you today from Hamilton. Steve Falsahi is a PN, but he's also a dreamer, a renovator, and likes to crush expectations. He turns drawings into reality with a dose of humour, and he's a top 40 under 40. He's the driving force behind Tiny Homes Garage Edition. Safe has renovated over 150 units in three years. He's a self pronounced workaholic. When not at the office, he's on the hunt for abandoned real estate that can be turned into luxurious rentals in great neighborhoods. Armed with boundless creativity and unwavering passion, Safe frees new life into abandoned properties, transforming them. Into all inspiring homes. Safe, welcome to Canada's podcast. Kind of funny that we're just about neighbors in, in, in Stony Creek and Hamilton. Yeah. Um, so, uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, why don't you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, uh, and how you got here, if you like?
1: Sure. So, um, again, my name is Safe. Uh, I own a, a construction company based in Hamilton over here. Uh, I st- originally, I had studied engineering uh, at McMaster. And then after that, I got uh, fly-in, fly-out jobs in Quebec and northern BC. Gained a ton of experience, you know, working over there on those type of jobs, uh, especially if there were seven days a week. Type of jobs, and then uh, decided I want to move here closer to friends and family. So I got settled down in Burlington, started working as a consultant in Toronto on Union Station, also doing engineering work. And uh, from there, I had uh, started dabbling about in real estate. I bought my first property needed a little bit of work, so I worked closely with the guys. Uh, rented it. it was a good uh, it was a good investment. The market was on a, the up and up, and then I bought a second one needed a little bit more work, and then I was really hands on with the guys at that point. Uh, Long story short, I kept kept sort of buying and fixing up properties. And then eventually there was so much construction that was going on. uh, We were offering our construction services because I had quite a few guys working under me. And uh, that's when I had started New Four.
0: Why did you go that? I mean, you know, you're PNs, You're working with, I imagine you're fly in, fly out and uh, and consulting in, in the city. You know, you, you've got good credentials, people need civil engineers on big projects. Why move into the smaller projects? You know, it's a very different kind of life life than than work, working in, in in the large the large construction projects.
1: Yeah. The large construction projects sound more grand and they sound amazing, but everybody is at their absolute single and best use. You know, you only really work on, you're a drop in the bucket. So you don't ever really end up gathering that much life experience, in my opinion, because you're so narrowed and so focused on one specific aspect. You could be a civil engineer, but you're only responsible for one component, which is design, let alone if the project's even larger, design of one part of the project. And then if the project's even that big, it could be one component of one building of one part of a project. You could So if you're working on high-rise building you could be the designer of just the slabs have nothing to do with the column the lateral support system so it's like it's it's almost too niche working in, in big projects like that it doesn't give you a lot of the life experiences in my opinion because the more hats you wear the more you get to understand the loose ends and the communication between different departments and oftentimes those are the biggest inefficiencies so if you're working on a smaller project in my opinion and you're wearing multiple hats you'll end up transferring a lot more life experience
0: let's just talk about new for a little bit because you know you're in the trendy kind of garage slash tiny homes business um you've been there for i don't know how many years now how's it you know, how's it evolved? How's it changed? What's, what's different about it than when you
1: started? So the garage conversions, garden suites, laneway suites, uh, laneway housing, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. is uh, fairly new. The bylaws were just passed, uh, I think, three, four years ago mm-hmm. uh, to allow you to build these type of properties without having to do any rezoning. And uh, it only really started taking popularity and people are building them as of two years ago. So, you know, if people started building them two years ago, the initial people, the pioneers, let's call them, only finished about a year ago. So they're fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's been much uh, evolving yet because things are just starting to roll out for those projects. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so how many have you built to date then? Uh, we've done four and we have two design.
0: About yourself, I mean, what do you like most about being an entrepreneur. You gave us the, the professional side of it in terms of the engineering side of it. But what about safe and, and and your your sort of personal motivations, things like that. What 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 do you like most about it?
1: you know i like uh, i like growth a lot and uh, i'm sure everybody does but you know with growth comes a little bit of discomfort and to me i really really do enjoy having a good understanding of other facets of the business so mm-hmm. you know not just sticking to the engineering side but you know evolving beyond that like the construct the construction side mm-hmm. the actual constructability you know mm-hmm. how to build it Uh, costing, the financing that goes into it. And then once you get all that dialed in, there's layers to to starting a business and growing a business because now you got to make sure that the pipeline of work is, uh, is getting larger and larger to support the kind of base that you have. So at that point you start getting into, you know, marketing and a lot of online ads and lead gen. So it's, for me, the part I love the most is being able to dabble in all these different things and then seeing it all come to fruition. Seeing that, wow, you know, when we got our um, uh, our Google ads team to make these tweaks, look, you know, two months down the road, I'm looking at the pipeline, when everybody's receiving the calls in here and estimating the jobs, look at the pipeline, how much it grew. And and you can actually attach a dollar figure to that. So to me, that's the most interesting is kind of understanding everything that's in between the lines because certain jobs can be spelled out, You know, modify this ad, use this creative, uh, install this flooring system, pour that concrete. Like it's very defined, right? But the part that I like the most, I think is everything that's in between the lines and how one translates into the other how you can get somebody that's tweaking ads and doing all this uh, uh, stuff that they do online, and that translates into real life uh, uh, projects.
0: You know, it's a, it's an interesting business you're in. You know, what do you see as sort of the biggest opportunity in that, that as we said, the laneway tiny homes business uh, over the next five years? I mean, it's, it's a weird old economy at the moment. Mm. What do you see? How does that reflect in, into your business?
1: Uh, I think right now we just signed a partnership um, uh, with, with a company called Maison Garden Suites. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're really focusing on the, the lead gen aspect and uh, getting tons of those leads and closing a lot of those leads. And essentially, what we're going to be doing for a certain period of time is we're going to be their construction arm. So we really plan on ramping this up and scaling a lot more and uh, being able to build these homes sort of in the exact same system, no matter what municipality you're in. In the long, long term, I would say, you know, if you're to ask me this question, you know, two, three years from today, hey, where do you see this going? It could very well be modular in a sense where we have these, you know, five or 10 designs. You only have those five, 10 designs. Pick them give us your address, we'll tell you which one of those 510 work, and then you're buying them off the shelf. We'll do obviously all the prep work on site and then pop them in place. That drastically reduces the time that you need because if you were normally building these, depending on the time of year that you start, you could be waiting six to eight months versus if this thing is off the shelf and the ground, ground isn't frozen, you're doing two weeks of prep work and then popping this thing in place.
0: What's the biggest challenge you see in the future of the business? I mean, talent, money, da 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 I mean, what do you you see?
1: The biggest challenge specifically with garden suites?
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's getting easier, to be honest. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is going to be trying to keep up with uh, whoever's trying to lead this industry. And the, the person that's trying to lead this industry is going to be doing it in volume and modular. Mm-hmm. So depending how quickly that comes to the market, uh, I, th- I think that'll probably be the biggest challenge, is getting yeah. away from the stick build a little bit.
0: You've already hit some challenges, I, I, I'm sure. You know, how do you, how do you handle them? Can you pass on some of that knowledge, that advice to the people that are kind of moving down the entrepreneurial road, so to speak? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, the entrepreneurial world is, is filled with challenges. Like, uh, you know, every day you're going to be hitting what seems in the moment probably like a brick wall. And they're not always the biggest challenges. Sometimes they could be the smallest things that you even maybe don't even have the patience to, to push through. It could be two key people not getting along, a client, you know, having a bad day and it's being a little bit difficult. But no matter what we, each one of those challenges are, I started seeing them a little bit differently because, and that's really when we started seeing the business grow a couple of years ago, every time before, prior to that, when I had seen a challenge, I would say, well, if only this went right, you know, if only we didn't have that problem. But the reality is each, each challenge and and, uh, each brick wall you hit is an opportunity for you to grow. Because every time you push through one of those, that's an opportunity. So to me, I feel like we're blessed because each one of those, every time you go through it, as long as you put the right systems in place after for the exact same problem not to happen again, that's an opportunity for your team as a whole to grow. So that's sort of how I deal with it. It's more like a mindset shift that you shouldn't see them as problems because they're not problems. You're fortunate enough to get that kind of roadblock and opportunity to fix it without it sinking you. Canada's podcast, the number one podcast
0: for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you could go back in time when you were at Mac, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self, 21-year-old self, whatever?
1: You know what? I would say that uh, I I, I would have liked to... I mean, I started off pretty early, but if I were to say a really good piece of advice Mm -hmm. is zero in on something that you really really love and it's sort of somewhat tangible i see a lot and what do i mean i see a lot of people they come up with big 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 dreams and those are fantastic there's nothing wrong with that from a mindset standpoint you can have those massive goals but the problem is if it's 20 steps away it makes it for the majority of the time inactionable so i used to have someone that i used to work with and what they said is you know what I want to be sort of in the same position that that you are but not doing these projects that you're doing we do projects up to up to a million or a million and a half per project that's that's sort of our capacity right now it's like i don't want these small projects i want to build high-rise buildings and that's fantastic it's very ambitious but the point is it's a very very far step away so i would say if you zero in on a specific niche that you know you can get into and be somewhat flexible with the details on how you can get there, you're gonna be in a much better position. Because if you're flexible and you say, you know what, I'm interested in structures. Mm-hmm. It could be two story, three story. It could be just a house that you're putting another level on top of. Because believe me, there's enough challenges going from zero to that as well. Mm-hmm. It'll put you in a much better position because now you can write down what the steps are to get there. It makes it very actionable.
0: So this, this sort of, you're sort of talking like a mentor and moving to mentorship. You know, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given that you, you know, you carry in, in your hip pocket and use on, 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 on not, if not a daily basis, on a fairly regular basis?
1: Yeah, okay. You know, actually, speaking of in your pocket, I got I had a mentor in 2013 up north in BC right. and he gave me a car and, and I... And I still, I still keep it with me today. But 10 years, believe it or not, still even in 10 years, I still haven't memorized it. So it's, it's a quote. It says, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. I'm sure everybody, a, a lot of people have heard this. And the point is that you always have to be consistent and persistent because that is the most important thing. I know some very, very, very intelligent people with a lot higher education than I have. Uh, PhDs or you know of those sorts and though intelligence is very important what is infinitely more important is your determination and your persistence so if I were to pick only one thing it would be that
0: let's let's have some fun questions so uh, that's some great stuff by the way really good input I like that one to one if you weren't doing what you' doing now? What would you be doing instead?
1: That's a really good question. You know, I only do two things. I build and I work out at the gym. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I weren't to be building, you know what? I would be having a really hard time. i w- I was just on I was just on the phone uh, a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, sorry rather, with my mother. and I told her, yeah. you know one mom, I need a hobby because I have nothing that I do in my free time other than work some more. So I really don't know the answer to that question.
0: You, do. I, you, need, to, you, know, you need to switch off the work at some stage. Um,
1: yeah. The book. day I find out how to do it, I'll let you know.
0: So you probably, I mean, my other one is is what book are you currently reading, listening to, you know? Maybe yeah, I, re- I do read a
1: lot. The one I'm reading right now is the autobiography of William Zekendorf. He is arguably one of the most successful people in all of real estate. And he's an incredible, incredible story with his peak in about the 1950s or yeah, probably in the late 1950s was his absolute peak. He was such a massive developer and he would go into um, cities uh, at the core that were, you know, cities that are not quite thriving. He originally started off in New York. And uh, that's where he did all his initial real estate transactions. And then he started going to different states and then internationally. So he would go into cities like, you know, Denver, downtown Denver, where there was nothing there and revitalize it and pour so much money into it that it would actually bring an absolute ridiculous amount of business to it. He was the one at one point in the 1950s that had Montreal and Montreal's growth and trajectory ahead of Toronto. That was actually that's true in the nineteen fifties was because of William Zeckendorf, he built these massive plazas and uh, uh, did these massive developments, uh, and so he's re- it's a really inspirational person that uh, that I well, sort of. Referenced. That's 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 good. That's good. Yeah, simple one.
0: Are you a morning or a night person?
1: Oh, morning. I wake up four a.m. every day.
0: You're you're like many of us. It's funny. It's it's about eighty. 80- Five to fifteen percent morning in in the office. Yeah,
1: it feels good. Like when I when I when I come into the office, usually I come in around eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I come into the office at eight, I've already I've already worked out and gone to the gym for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. I've had breakfast Mm -hmm. and I've done a little bit of reading as well. It just feels good.
0: If you had to pick a word to describe yourself, what would it be, and why would you choose that one? Persistent. Persistent?
1: Yeah, I've I've had a lot of challenges in the last uh, six years, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really proud to say that some things that have been challenges and were expected to continue to be challenges Mm -hmm. uh, for years, I still stuck through with it. And uh, luckily, we came out on top. So what's still keeping you up at night? Uh, I sleep completely fine. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's good. that's good, that's good. I think
1: usually it's, uh, you, you know, when, you, when you're really ambitious, you end up being uh, your own enemy type of thing. So sometimes you set the bar and then, you know, you hit it and then you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, you know, what? I, I could be doing more. Mm-hmm. So, so you become your own worst enemy because you're always pushing yourself to do more. So if anything, if, if we do want to call them stresses, the stresses that are caused in life are usually self-inflicted because you continue to change the targets and you never hit them because when you hit them for people that are meant to be entrepreneurial, people that are very high performance, the thrill goes away. So,
0: you know, having been an entrepreneur for for a few years now, what advice would you give, I mean, an entrepreneur that's sort of listening, viewing this and is thinking about starting a business?
1: now? I would say when you start off, if you're starting it from zero, like completely from scratch, it's just an idea you're starting to get incorporated. Be very flexible when you're starting with whatever your uh, the details of how you're going to get to your vision. So have a vision in your mind, but at the very, very start, be a little bit flexible because you're going to hear a lot of stuff come in. You may weed out through 80% of them, but don't be so stern to not listen to anything. Just listen to people no matter what. Consider it you may not actually apply it, but make sure you're actually listening. Because many times you'll find that founders will um they all get to the point where at the start they say, you know what, this is exactly what I want, but you don't end up with that. So you need to make sure that you're welcoming those iterations.
0: That's good. You're, you're quite right. I agree. I agree with that. It's it's amazing how I don't like to use the term pivot, but it does sort of move around a bit yes on the way on the way to your
1: goal great session uh how can people get a hold of you uh you know we uh, you can uh, you can go to newfor.com www.newfor.com that's n e w f o r e or if you're more to social media we're super active on instagram and our account is newfour inc inc okay. thanks for
0: coming on canada's podcast it's been really nice meeting you Thanks for having me, Philip. Canada's Podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs.